This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, Cami here, back very soon with new episodes. Oh, I literally just recorded one and it was so, so interesting. So don't worry, that's coming. But until then, how about uh, one more best of 2023? This one with Jordan Cruciola, Terry J. Benton Walker, Emily Bielgis, and Mara Herb Kersman. Well, hey, speaking of Emily and Mara, they own a bar here in Los Angeles called The Ruby Fruit. It is a lesbian wine bar, and I've been there. It is very welcoming to all people. Oh, and they have uh, non-alcoholic drinks, too. So come on. It's for all of us. Now, why, why am I telling you about this? Because I have a show on January 23rd here in Los Angeles. It's at the Elysian Theater. It's part of my new monthly show series called Velvet Tuesdays. And after party is at the Ruby Fruit. So come on through on 7.30, not on 7.30, but at 7.30 on January 23rd. And then meet me afterwards at the Ruby Fruit. Okay, enjoy the episode. Boy, I feel like many of us could benefit from adding gray. To it's nice. I'm happy it's, to. Yeah, I'm happy to. It's know why about that. I like the word queer so much. Yeah, because like before I had that specific collection of language, like queer just felt really comfortable because it like I don't have sexual relationships with people and like it's like saying like, like I'm not gay and and bi. I don't I like I guess bi, but like in practice, it's all fucking theoretical because I haven't done anything with anyone. So like those two things felt like. You don't have to be having sex with people to be legitimately gay or legitimately bi. Like, yeah. your your queerness is active and it is real. But it was such a comfortable way to just have a short name be like, yeah, I, I am a queer person. And people be like, okay, well, I don't know specifically what that means maybe, but I get that you're on that acronym. It's like, okay, good. Thank God. Like, it's I'm that's my community. And then when I get like, then, you know, if we start with the general terms, and then like, well, my particular brand is, and then I roll that out. And it's yeah. like, okay, let's go piece by piece with that. Yeah. And the gray just allows for, because I've never, um, because I've never had sexual relationships with people, but like, I, I, I still, I don't rule it out as, as like, not, it's not an impossibility. What I ne- want to make sure I never do in my life is not pursue kinds of contacts kinds of contact or connection with people just because I've never done it. I don't want to affix myself to a fact of who I am that makes me feel beholden to an idea of myself because I feel like we can all do that in a lot of ways. Like, mm. well, I'm I'm this kind of gay, so I can't be another kind of gay or like, well, people like know me for this way that I wear my hair even. Like I feel like when we're younger there's that kind of pressure a lot. So like, I just don't want to deal with like changing my style because I feel like people are going to ask me questions or look at me weird. So I just I want to allow for the possibility at any time I could meet somebody that changes things for me in a way that I would explore new possibilities of connection and intimacy. But I because I don't ever want to make a choice based out of fear or stagnation for who I could become based on who I've been. So I just want to allow for that gray for that movement. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And 
you know, I definitely relate to, I've been wearing like dresses lately. I wore a dress Ooh. to Taylor Swift. Oh, okay. And I wore like a very cute, like sheer bodycon dress that nice. was like, looked awesome. And the other thing that was awesome about it is that under it, I was wearing like what I wear to do hot yoga. <laughs> <laughs> Because, um, like, it, it's, like, basically, like, bike shorts and yeah. then, uh, like, a little bandeau bra. And yeah, yeah. It, like, I've never felt more comfortable at a concert in my life because what I was, like, look. I oh my god, that's clothes, sh- you know, like. Yeah. But then I also had, like, a cute little um, bit of glitter and stars on top. And I yeah. felt great. So this is something I'm allowing myself. Yes. Um, after a lot of years of feeling pigeonholed by my own um interpretation of other people's expectations so and you're a public figure so like people know there are there's a whole fucking google image log of how you look and how you present and what people expect to see of you when you are in a public place and that is so much to answer for when there's already so much to answer for that doesn't have to be this thing that gets constructed around us that is real but it's still just a construction. And I, I want to do myself the favor as much as I can of being like, listen, just because you haven't done something doesn't mean it's the thing you always do. And it's okay if you are, it's okay if you make a different choice that can still align with your identity because your identity gets to be flexible. That's so and awesome. Yeah. With with so few models for myself and my sexuality to be like, well, but there's this person who's an example that other people right. can connect to to help explain me because I know me. But right. I find that I'm a long explanation for people. I'm kind of just like carving it on my own here. So the best I can do for myself is just not rigidly fix myself to like who I will be based on who I have been. That's awesome, man. I love to hear that. I'm so behind you with that. Thank and, you. Um, and also, I have like a few more questions that, again, you know, any of this can be outside outside of the airlock <laughs> yeah yeah i there but what an there's an amazing outside the airlock scene in event horizon let me tell you <laughs> oh, something oh i bet there is it's <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of blood so if you haven't had sexual relationships with people have mm-hmm. you had romantic relationships with people that would be under the like like hey this is my partner we're dating in that zone i know you said you were snuggly and that you have mm-hmm. physically affectionate so i did yes. hear you say that yes um yes. and i know you you know have talked about friends so mm-hmm. i'm aware of those things this is the one thing that i know varies for different people who yeah. are asexual um so what's your experience with this this is such an interesting question because i i I have a friend who is like we have a, a deeply close relationship and it is like I think to to all outside perception the way people would look at that is be like oh are, so are you guys dating and it's no but I understand why you think that because by the cues that you see like by the cues like the affection the familiarity like the there's an there's definitely like there's an emotional intimacy there there's like there's a deep emotional intimacy there it's not dating because for me what it just like friendships are the ultimate totem for me and i have companion friends at times when i am fortunate enough to meet people who are willing to like who can align with me in a way where there is sort of like and when i say like because i'm trying to find the answer to this exactly myself right now because it's like is it asexual romance when it is a friendship that has no limits on it such that it that it looks 
um, similar to or echoes like a sexually romantic relationship or partnership or marriage or something like that. Because like for me and like in my closest friendships, there is no limit. Like, we're not going to have sex. Like, that's that's not on the table. But, like, as far as, like, what would you do for the person you're in love with? Like, what would you do for your – that's what I will do for the closest people in my life. And I will be as invested and involved and devoted to a person – as they will allow me to be comfortably with their own boundaries. So I match where other people will allow me into their life with intimacy because I don't want to go past that and make them uncomfortable because as far as how much I can let a person in, it's infinite up to the point of having sex, like, because that's just not what I'm going to do. But like, as far as like, I will, I will be present for you and show up for you and give to you and do for you to the limits of what you recognize of what a spouse would do for another spouse. But that is what I would do for my friends. And so is that, is that romance? I don't actually know. You know what? I, well, so I asked you two different things, and actually I can tell you that does sound like romance to me. Right. Um, I'm just another person, so I'm not the person that gets to decide. No, but, but if like, I would it- identify it, yes. The thing that it doesn't necessarily sound like is a sort of more communal definition of partnership. And that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it can't be your definition of partnership. But like, right. I think the thing that I... It's like, it's odd, I guess, the different ways. Because there are because there are people that are partnered yeah. that are not asexual. Yeah. That are not having sex with those people for a lot of years. Yeah, for a for long time. For various reasons. For various um, reasons, yeah. So I think that the partnership thing is oftentimes only requires like a mutual declaration. If I yeah. have to describe it. I think it requires a mutual declaration that that's what those people are. Yeah. Romance yeah. doesn't, like partnership does not require romance. Right. And it does not require s- sexuality. Yeah. Uh, and, and Which is a romance great thing to does hear. not require So thank you for saying so. And sexuality does not require romance. So there, yeah. there's like three different things almost, right? Yeah. And so that's the, I think that's the the one that like, yeah, I think, it, I think you, some of the stuff that you described, um, or not the stuff you describe. I would put all, a lot of that under the category of like romance, right? Yeah, I think partnership for me like is feels less. Um, high, high mindedly doing for others mm-hmm. or letting others in, and it feels mm-hmm. more about like a shared plan and like yeah. that shit is again imposed because of like how we get health insurance in this country. Yes. So it's like all really complicated, all the stuff that we're talking about. And I, and, it, and it's such a, because like I'm such a partner, I'm such a partnership oriented person. Like that's kind of like my native state. Like when I've been able to in my life, like I have fostered sort of partnership friendships with, with the people I've been most, most, most close to. That's Because really that's how I like, that's how I'm optimized. That's me at my most optimized self is to be able to be dedicated in that sort of focused way and sort of purpose driven within the confines of like. That's so interesting. A, a wonderful like friend companionship would that person would it be usually one person and like would that person would you call that person like a best friend yeah and that's how it kind of tend that's how it sort of tends to to function but like this this person i described like who i've I've recently met this year like we are we are friends but friends feels like an insufficient word because we function very naturally in a 
very partner-oriented way. Interesting. But it is not a declared partnership. But we've never really had to talk about the ease and fluidity with which we operate in this dynamic. And also... This is somebody who, like I like I said I'll I'll kind of I'll meet at a person wherever their boundary is where they're comfortable letting me into. And in this in this friendship that I've been developing with this person like I have never been able to love a person with the full extent of myself to the in the way that I am with this person that I, that I have met this year. Like it's like the full force of my dedication and my adoration can go toward this person. And again, it's not a sexual relationship. And they, in return, can greet me reciprocally with the same level of, of love and warmth and adoration. So this, like, I have never, I have never been able to have that kind of dynamic with a person. Because always in some way, I do have to hold back a little bit of myself. Because typically for almost anybody I've ever met, that kind of focus on them as an individual and that partnership-oriented way of, of behaving, that's a little bit much for them. And it is something that is tend to be reserved for their romantic or sexual partner. So this is like, I'm moving into uncharted ground for myself in like the platonic relationship intimacy space because I've like never been allowed to fully love a person with the mm, complete wow. weight of and and breadth of who I am and it's been amazing but then it's like gosh if I don't know if I don't if I've never experienced this like what does this mean for where this goes because I'm queer she's not which honestly is also like a does that make it better because then there isn't going to be a confusion for like where this straight person is not at a certain point going to like pursue a sexual well, don't don't do not I fucking that, don't know man. I, don't that <laughs> I don't know you can't count on declared uh you're very charming thank you very much and thank you people can and that, you know we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. And that's what I'm trying to say is I don't know. So I'm just like, so huh. it's like, it's it's like got this, there's like, it's so, because like the only language I have for it are also like the signifiers of a typically sexual traditional relationship where I'm like, it's like a honeymoon. Is this a honeymoon phase of getting to know somebody? Right. Or like, is this just how we operate in perpetuity? Because the thing is, I know how it's, it's how I operate in perpetuity. I can do this forever. The tanks don't run out. The resources constantly renewable but i have like raced off into like intensely bonded friendships before in the past with people who's who operate in what i find to be a more typical fashion which is that kind of high enthusiasm and effort is a front-loaded thing and then you settle into a dynamic with a person that is less intense than that whereas i'm like i can do intensity forever this is what we do is this is this how we operate so right. i have no idea it's very exciting that's it's very that's interesting nice, but it's like Gosh, where does this go? Sure fucking don't know. Yeah, I don't, I mean. Because I know where it stays as a friendship. I know that. But what I don't know is, I, I'm 38, so I know how, I'm not unclear about what I want out of, like, companionship and what I recognize as, like, a partner dynamic. I, unless I meet someone exactly like me who's had my experience and, like, lives in my head, like, I don't know what their kind of progression is in terms of this kind of partnership because this is kind of a new dynamic for them as well where they're like, I've never felt this, like, comfortable close to a person before. And so we're both kind of like, fuck shit, where does, like, I don't know. Yeah, well, 
keep us in the loop. Let's see. It's August yeah. 9th. We're recording this. Keep us surprised. I'll, I'll, let's let's uh, circle back in like, I don't know, three months. See, yeah. see where you're at. <laughs> Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! So I want to go back to asking you about um, your experience with your parents' divorce, because I will also say, like, we've talked about these other topics that, like, clearly there's a national conversation going on around. Mm -hmm. But something that I also didn't have information about as a kid, and some of this is, like, the divorce rate is, has in, I don't even know if this is true. I perceive that the divorce rate has changed. And some of that is like women having agency. Like, <laughs> like mm -hmm. that is truly part of it is like yes. for my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, when women didn't have as much education, access to education, access to abortion, access to their own bank accounts, they couldn't leave. And so the divorce rate was different. And it's not because mm -hmm. there was less marital strife. It's because women were trapped. So mm -hmm. <laughs> when that started to change, um, in my childhood, there was like no information available around that reality. Mm -hmm. Like none. I had one, my best friend, her parents got divorced and it was a brutal experience for her. Like we talk about this a lot now, but even mm -hmm. in that moment, I remember it just was like, it was like something she was teased about. I mean, it was like, it mm -hmm. just was a, a different, um, we had a different orientation to that than we do now, but I have no idea because I'm not, um, in this moment, a huge consumer of middle grade books. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's something that's more reflected in what's available for kids to read. Um, but I'm just curious if you could like talk, I guess, a little bit about your experience with that. And if you had support in stuff you were consuming in the world, at school, like places like that. And then whether you see this book as being truly unusual there or if there's you know other stuff you've read since. So I will say I did not feel like I had books that I could relate to from that standpoint as a kid. Um, when it came to divorce or being queer or anything like um, being black, none of that. Um, and so like I was I read like fantasy, like I read The Golden Compass. I like The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings mm -hmm. and all of that. But um, there were no black people in those stories. Right. So. Right. Uh, and I still had to find a way to connect to it. So like I 
I had to, like, fantasy was a form of escapism for me, and I had to do so by way of characters that I could not relate to. Um, And even so, like, I still found a way to connect with it. And I feel like, in a way, that stunted my ability to be able to properly process um, the divorce and, like, how that changed my life and, like, my feelings around that. Um, for so long. And actually, writing Alex Wise was a way of me kind of dealing with that. Um, because for the longest, I was not able to write a positive father figure in any of my stories, because I had no idea what that what that looked like. Um, mm-hmm. Even though my parents divorced, our story is a lot different from Alex Wise's story. Um, his story is rainbows and bubblegum compared to my childhood. Um I've, I've, I've spoken about this before, but sparingly. Um, so like my dad was an alcoholic and he was abusive. So, um, we have, I have no relationship with him right now. Um, and it was a situation where I wanted my mom to leave. I wanted her to get a divorce, but she felt like she, um, should try to fix the family so like we could stay together because she felt like my brother and I needed our dad. And we were like, no, like we need peace. Um, and so that goes back to your point earlier about like um, women like regaining their autonomy and understanding that it's okay for you to get a divorce, um, to put yourself in a better, safer situation to protect yourself and your kids. And a lot of that involves like shedding um, the misogynistic programming of like church and stuff like that, because like we were, we grew up super religious. And so you were taught that like when you marry, that's forever. And like, no matter what your husband does, you don't get a divorce and you don't leave and you're supposed to put up with it. And that's just simply not true, but it's very hard to like unprogram that. Um, So I wanted to show a, a child's perspective of what they're what they're feeling when they're going through that divorce and for Alex I tapped into my own feelings of like how I felt abandoned by my dad um because he left us and went on to another family and he remarried and he had um stepchildren who he loved who got to spend time with him and like I heard about the wedding on Facebook, just like Alex Wise. Um, even though I had no desire to be there, it just felt a way like finding out like that. Um, and so yeah. I wanted to write that from Alex's perspective to show kids like how it feels in that situation and how you can move on to a positive place. Um, even if that place is understanding that you might never get the love and affection that you deserve from, from your parents. I mean, I think this is a huge, you know, there's so many obvious, when you were talking about Lord of the Rings, like, I think what we're hoping for from, well, I'm hoping this for myself as a consumer of media is like, is empathy, that I can Mm -hmm. see the commonality between myself and any character. And then Mm -hmm. also that I can learn about experiences I haven't had. And I just, the reason I bring up divorce specifically is because just percentage wise, um, of the different identities Alex carries, it's probably the one that touches kids in this age range the most simply because of what the divorce rate is like right mm-hmm. now. So, I mean, more kids are openly identifying as queer and black stories are massively underrepresented. And the reason that divorce speaks to me, it's like I, I, um, it's like in thinking about talking about why 
this story is so makes so much sense to me um, for kids. It's if you don't have an entry point that's directly because of your identity through these different pathways, here's mm-hmm. another option. And I, you know, again, hopefully we can all like make the leap to want to consume things outside of identities we carry. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think divorce is one that like, I just don't hear people talking about that when they talk yeah. about books. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that like really stuck out to me as like, oh, here's a, t- like, this is just not part of the chat, not part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and really appreciate all the the details that you yeah. shared. And Thank you. you know, I think, um, Oh man, I mean, I have some people, I have a person who's very close to me who, um, growing up, their favorite movie was Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. And it took a really long time for them to realize that their parents were divorced and that, that the whole premise of that movie is like, what if I could go back in time and heal my parents' relationship? And mm-hmm. that is wild, right? And yeah. it's very different than a book that kind of posits, what if I could talk about my feelings? Like that's a very different orientation mm-hmm. to parental <laughs> strife. Um, and it also feels very in line with what you're talking about, about the way that you grew up in the church versus what you're modeling right now. Mm-hmm. Like it's how can we like, like make, like crush this non-working thing mm-hmm. into a working thing versus like, let's just talk about how it makes us feel. Um, and I also have someone close to me who's going through divorce right now and I'm watching how it's affecting um, her child who mm-hmm. is a first grader. And even now it's, I mean, very complicated Um, and there's, and this is like a kid who goes to a super progressive school and like has really progressive parents, doesn't necessarily live in a progressive area. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, this like, what a weird thing to have stigma about when it affects so many of us. I am a divorcee. Like, it's just like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to wrap my mind around things that we continue to stigmatize that literally like affect more people than they don't like more mm-hmm. married people are divorced than not so like it's just wild yeah um, i think and i feel like and i could be wrong but i feel like part of it has to do with a bit of jealousy and contempt for being unhappy and seeing other people take steps to be happy and so it's oh like my if God. i can if I can shame you for doing it, it makes me feel better for not being able to do it myself. Holy shit. Yeah. Maybe that's possible. Yeah. That I mean, I've actually never thought of that perspective before. Um, I think another thing I, you know, because it's also because of like the stuff that we have like embroidered on a pillow or like said Mm -hmm. in a ceremony this like to death to us part for richer for poorer for you know Mm -hmm. in sickness and in health i mean um alcoholism is a disease that's touched my family as well and Mm -hmm. so when we're talking about something like sickness and health it's like unless the sickness is killing everybody and people need to survive like unless that's and i just think again that's like a how what perspective are we 
you know, willing to take. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that alcoholism has to destroy every family. I'm saying that people have choices and they can decide yeah. how they want to do, how they want to deal with something like, like, like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've, and seen, I've had that experience in my own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. And I also feel like <clears throat> we as humans, whether you agree explicitly or not, we enter into a social contract just by existing. There are some things that we do not do. Like, and even when you enter into a marriage with another person, that's just like an extension of the social contract, right? Mm-hmm. And so we know as part of the social contract, we don't dis- we respect everyone. We don't put our hands on other people. We don't hurt anyone else, right? And as soon as someone breaks that social contract, it's null and void on both sides, right? And so, yes, alcoholism is a disease. And yes, I will stand by you while you are sick. But if you try to kill me while you are sick, you've now broken the social contract and I don't have to stay here anymore. And that's what people need to understand. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's a deadly Mm -hmm. disease for the family. Yeah. Um, It's the family. It's a family disease. Um, That's yeah. That's been my experience in my, in my own life um, as well. And, um, you know, also, my experience with divorce and, and I, because I am the divorce say, I'm not the, the child affected by divorce. I'll mm-hmm. say that like, um, oh, there's a word for it. Oh, I wish I could. It's, uh, I was reading about, somebody was talking about the, the people that died during the pandemic mm-hmm. and their families didn't get to be there. Um, maybe there wasn't a funeral. Oh, ambiguous loss. Uh, that was the phrase that I heard. And it's, and it's, and it was people, it was talking about like that there sort of is no ceremonial rite of passage or there was no ceremonial rite of passage for those families and how that impacted their ability to grieve that. And when I was reading about that, I really related to it because that was, that's also, I think, an experience of divorce is that you know a wedding people gather around in a non-pandemic time people get to be part of a funeral but it's this huge Mm -hmm. grief and this like dissolution of a family that also we don't really have a way of marking and so in my own life it was this extremely surreal experience where like I was everybody knew I was married (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I was and then um my closest circle would talk to me about it but one step out of that circle it was the way I was greeted sort of in the world was almost as if it hadn't happened like people never brought up my ex's name to me or never mentioned that a divorce had occurred and it was this very odd thing where I just felt like I was like in the twilight zone like yeah we wait we were all do you you all remember that this (laughs) was you remember right Mm -hmm. like because we were we used to be at this party together mm-hmm. so um i don't it, it know almost, what that's it, like it, 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 as a it kid it feels like an unmooring a bit because it's almost like your whole yes. like so much your whole world changes yes yeah maybe you could talk a little bit about if if you're open to it um Because you said you have more perspective writing this book, but what is that more perspective? Like, what did you learn about mm-hmm. yourself? Um, so in the 
in the process, I became a dad myself. Um, my husband and I have a three-year-old son. Um, That's he'll be yeah. he'll be four in January. His name is Aiden, aka the Duty. Um, I dedicated <laughs> Alex Wise to him, um, and I so like I like I don't have a relationship with my dad. Um, like I said, like he was physically and emotionally abusive growing up, and um, being a parent was terrifying for me. The idea of it um, coming up to when he was born. Um, just because I was just concerned about like what that was going to be like and like what kind of parent I was going to be and if I was going to be good enough. Because one thing that I wanted to do was um, break the cycle of abuse and I wanted to be the dad for him that I wasn't able to get. And I was really shocked when he came and I saw how easy it was to love him. And it was, it hurt too, because then I was like, well, if it was this easy, like, how come my dad couldn't love me? Um, and so I poured a lot of that emotion into writing Alex Wise and it's specifically like how he interacts with his dad, how his dad reacts, how his mom also um, reacts in the situation, how she addresses everything. And I was able to have that perspective from a kid who has experienced this rejection. Um, and I'm able to mirror that back to um, the father who behaves that way because I, I experienced it directly. And then the mother responds and I'm able to, to build his mother's response to that off of how I, how I view being a parent now and the mm -hmm. type of love that I have for my son and the way that I protect my son. But I wish someone would have protected me in that way when I was that age. Right. Um, well, and also, I would imagine making a lovable and heroic character who um, is, is like a caring sibling and protects others. I mean, that's so it's interesting, a child that's not protected and then not just writing a child that but but writing a child who is a protector. Um, is that a role you saw for yourself as a kid or was that something that you wanted to kind of imbue in a character that that you were writing later? Both. Um, I absolutely was a kid who was not protected, but protected everybody. Um, I'm even like that now, especially with my son. And the reason I am so protective of him is because I wasn't protected. Um, and now, like, making sure that home is a safe space for him is top priority. Um, and it's, it's, it's non-negotiable every single day. And it's because of how I grew up and, I, and wanting to break the cycle and wanting to be the change that I want to see. And that is why queer parents are better at parenting than straight parents. I'm just kidding. I don't know. <laughs> Look, we're just people like anybody else. But I mm -hmm. will say that, uh, and boy, do I fuck up all the time. Um, mm -hmm. But as you're saying that. Um, well, no, like to your, that's a, that's a very good point too. And I also want to point out that parents aren't perfect. 
And when, and, and that's something you'll see in all of my books. Like there's no example of a perfect parent. Um, in Alex Wise, Alex's mom is as close as you're probably going to get in that story. But even she has her faults. Like she does a lot of stuff that like I personally would not do as a parent that she probably should not have done. She makes a lot of mm-hmm. poor choices as well. Um, but what I want to show to kids is all of the different ways that you can interact with adults from parents to mentors to authority figures and all of the different ways that they can treat you and, and what that means and how you can respond. Um, and, that, and, and I hope that they take yeah. that from that. My name is Emily Billigus. I own and operate the wine bar, The Ruby Fruit. And my name is Mara Herb-Kersman. I am um, Emily's business partner and co-owner at The Ruby Fruit and The Chef. So this is really an exciting new spot in LA. I I just stopped in uh, maybe two weeks ago. Um, Cause, I mean, this is like just a, <laughs> this is like a unpaid for shout out, but I do like a brand partnership with Wild Fang. And I also know the owner and we're friends and all this stuff. And so Wild Fang for me has long been like, it's like a little queer zone on a certain part of Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles for anybody who's not living here. Um, You know, that's a clothing company that does like some like gender neutral stuff. Like, you know, it's owned by an out queer person. Like it just feels really in my wild like a place I've long felt comfy. Wait, are you wearing Wild Fang? Always. Yeah. <laughs> we Mark's we also we also have a a partnership with them and I yeah. live in Wild Fang so. Right. Yeah. And so the ruby fruit is in the I don't know if it's like would you call it a strip mall or oh, would yeah. you call that little zone? We very yeah. openly say strip mall. We love the word cool. strip mall. Yeah. yeah. So it's in a little strip mall that's right across the street um and down a few businesses from Wild Fang. Um, and so that was really fun because I was there to stop in. And then I've been hearing about the Ruby Fruit for so long and it just felt like, what a day I'm having. Because I like walked over <laughs> and the place had just like just opened. Like it was like 1101 or something like that in the morning or whatever time you open. It was like, I was like the yep. first customer in there and they were like hauling in crates of something. Yeah. And I yep. got that was just me. like a nice coffee. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. You were hauling <laughs> Calling in. Yeah, crate. So like, that's, yeah. My job title is crate hauler. Yeah. And I just like sat at the bar and had like a really <laughs> nice little coffee and kind of chatted about like, how's it going in here, you know, and, mm. and asked some questions about, um, the success of the, of the, of the bar and restaurant. Um, because mm. I have heard such good things and, you know, obviously mm. always very ear to the ground about places that I could go in patronize and like feel really stoked about Mm. um visiting so that was that's my experience with the establishment loved it felt like really cute let's actually talk real quick about the decision to open it there because i i actually i also think it's really cool that it's in a strip mall can you talk to me about that decision like why there why that neighborhood maybe giving folks a little background about your choice in opening there I mean, some of it was just um, purely like by chance because Emily and I had both been working at the restaurant that was there previously. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. 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 We (laughs) took over the restaurant where we were employees. (gasps) Wait, what was the restaurant? 
It was called a Zet. I don't think I ever ate there. Okay. It was there for about three years. Um, it opened right before the pandemic. And um, yeah, they just kind of couldn't make it through after the pandemic. So, What were your roles there? I was the general manager and wine director and opened the restaurant with the owners who were dear friends of mine in 2019. And I was a server and bartender. Wow. And so when did you know, the two of you know, that you wanted to take over that space? I mean, we... We had been scheming and dreaming, literally just dreaming about opening a sapphic space together, but it all, like the reality of actually doing it in that particular space happened very quickly. Um, and very unexpectedly. Very unexpectedly. Yes. Uh, I think it was, I think they, the owners approached you, Mara, in November of 2022. November 2022. Um, They came to me and they said they were closing the restaurant and they knew that um, it's always been like my goal to open my own place. And Emily and I had been talking about doing this and like truly, as she said, daydreaming. Um, And the reality became real very quickly when it was like, oh, this is something we can actually do now. Because we had an idea to do a completely different concept. We were going to do a sapphic space, but we didn't, it wasn't going to be in this space and it wasn't going to be this concept. And so we shifted like very quickly to make it work for this space. What was the other concept? Um, It was called Big Al's Sip and Bite. Uh (laughs) And it was very, um, like like our mood. Yeah, it was, I mean, honestly, Cute space could happen one day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, our yeah. Mood, Our mood board was literally just, like, scenes from the movie Desert Hearts. Like, Oh, it's one of yes. my favorite movies. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, like country western-ish. Okay, fine. I'll invest. Just, like, loop back in with me <laughs> when you're Perfect. planning that. Two and years. I'm happy to be sort of a silent partner. Oh, great. Um, <laughs> you can, you're on. Yeah, we won't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't. I'm, I couldn't be more serious. Uh, great. <laughs> because, you know, for a long time in L.A., Um, when I've heard about folks having this interest, honestly, I have, this is not the first folks that I've reached out to and, Mm -hmm. um, offered some like support and partnership. Like I've thrown standup shows that were partially Mm -hmm. fundraisers. You know, I really believe in, um, supporting. And when there was, um, cuties, which, Mm, uh, was like a coffee shop that was like, Mm -hmm. uh, sapphic but like heavily trans inclusive space Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. i like had those owners on the show and i you know went there and patronized it personally you know because for me it's really important to if i have money to spend on coffee it's important to me to you know try to go out of my way to to give it to y'all um so i'm super grateful for your choice to take a risk and open this space it's awesome thank you thank you it's been pretty awesome it's been like really wild and a lot of fun Yeah. Tell me about that. I mean, I haven't been there at night yet. So like, I don't really, I don't really know the vibe, but I have heard the vibe is busy. It is vibey (laughs) for sure. Okay. And it is busy. I mean, the first few weekends, we definitely had lines out the door and it was this kind of thing where we (laughs) were like, oh yeah. I mean, truly. The parking lot was filled with throngs of people, just bodies (laughs) everywhere. Dead bodies. People who'd murdered other people there to try to get there were no survivors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, there was this moment I will never forget where 
I, everyone was on the floor. Like it was all hands on deck. There was not a single person who wasn't moving at lightning speed, like trying to just like get as many people drinks in hands and as possible. And there was this moment where myself and um, someone else who works there, her name is Taylor. We were behind the bar and there were just, there were so many drink tickets. It was very comical like there's there were just like too many pieces of paper and there weren't enough places to stuff them and then there were all these empty wine glasses in front of those drink tickets and we just looked at each other and burst out laughing so it's like there's just no way we can physically fill this many orders in like the uh, the time that it is reasonable to do bit so. of a coyote ugly situation Oh, oh my god, it was yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we live coyote ugly on a daily basis. There's dancing on the bar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's like well, I mean, good. Can't fight the moonlight. I still listen to that. That's a if you're if that's not in your rotation. We should actually just, we should add that to our rotation. We should put that on the pop. Yeah. We have a pop girlies playlist. Okay, let that, me know exactly yeah. what time you're gonna play that. I'll show up. You know, like okay, this great. is important <laughs> stuff because I because I run to that sometimes. You know, like it's like oh yeah. You know, you can't fight the moonlight, but you can outrun it. You know, that's just like a part of that song that doesn't exist. Um, yeah. Why are there drink tickets? Um, not drink tickets. Like we don't give them out. Like when someone orders a ticket prints from oh, the receipt. Oh, you mean tickets like from a restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. Tickets. Yeah, yeah. Tickets. Gordon yeah. Ramsay. Yeah. Get the tickets out. Exactly. Yeah. This, okay. exactly. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yep. Um, yep. 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 Also another thing that just like strikes me as comical that I'm like excited to see in person when I make it, when I make it out there is like, it does almost feel like in terms of my perception of a wine bar that like busy, raucous, bar and wine bar seem like inherently antithetical because of how people usually drink wine which is like more of a of a um I think of a leisurely French like orientation up yes yeah 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 this is is anything but truly yeah yeah. Well, I mean, slamming wine. Truly. Slam- yeah, they're slamming it. They're it's slamming it. Yeah. I mean, there was also another thing that happened that first weekend was that we literally ran out of wine. So we <laughs> yeah. sold out of all the wine we had ordered for what we thought was going to be, like you're saying, a sort of pleasant, gentle week of people like stirring their wine glass and sipping it right. uh, leisurely. We sold out of wine on the first night. So then we had to call all of our friends and like people who are in the wine industry, who are importers or distributors on a Saturday and say, literally, what wine do you have in your living room? Right. And they brought it and it was all sort of, it was just this catch It was like mishmash. But you have different friends than I have. Because number one, a lot of my friends are sober. Number two, if I call my friends and said, bring the wine that's from your living room. Not oh, like not necessarily not just, like yeah. sellable. No, no, yeah. we we had it's pretty epic what people bring from their living rooms. You know, our yeah. friend group is like, yeah, they they've got great wine there. I want to ask about how you choose what you serve, and I mean, maybe this is part of. More like the background you were talking about, but maybe you could talk me through that for a minute. Like, how do you pick? I don't know how anybody like picks a wine that they might <laughs> serve in their. Well, wine Emily program. runs the wine program now, so she can totally okay. talk about that. Got it. Um, 
So, I mean, at first, again, this is all really new to me. I'm in a really unique position where truly six months ago, I was a waitress and now I'm the wine director and choosing wine. I think this is what the Broadway show Waitress is about, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like I've never seen it, but it's about owning a... A lesbian bar. So. Space, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah if it's, it's not, it should be. Bar. That's for sure. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Um, but so I've had this like very um, kind of quick and dirty learning curve about the whole business of what it looks like to choose a wine to sell. Um, but now I'm trying to focus on queer and female non-binary winemakers. So the list at this moment is entirely made up of winemakers who identify as, um, yeah, female or non-binary and or queer. So like heavily, heavily Brandy Carlisle. Oh, it's just Brandy yeah, yeah. Carlisle's it's wine. Brandy. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, does she yeah. make wine? She does. Yes. She does. Yeah. Shut uh-huh. up. We have to get it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've never actually tried it. I, I wonder if it's any good. I haven't tried it, but I will say that a highlight of my life, and I think I've probably talked about this in the podcast, like, look, I don't remember anything I've ever said out of my mouth. So it Mm. seems like probably I've talked about this a hundred times, but maybe Mm -hmm. not. I don't know. Um, (laughs) Last summer, because I like sort of know her because because I interviewed her on Query a couple times. Yeah, I've listened to those episodes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And because you're a famous person and all famous people know each other, right? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Sure. That's what I thought. So she gave me tickets um, to see, like I flew to San Francisco with my wife and we went to see her at the Greek theater in San Francisco, which is like this very cool venue. It's like very um, small and sort of like stacked seating. So you like, there isn't really a bad seat. It feels very like how people would sit if knights were jousting. Like in in Greece. And And they're like this person well i don't did that happen in Greek? No. Well, the, the greek i don't know theater. i could be mixing metaphors i could like but yeah anyway. some sort um, of ancient violence occurred on that stage so, for sure yeah um but the indigo girls were opening for her and we went backstage after the show and everybody in this group i like was talking to brandy the indigo girls came out my wife was standing there we took a picture together and we're all the same height. Like, it's oh just God. like this hilarious thing of like, this is what they made. Like the gods, like they yeah. made this size. <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. The mold. Like, absolutely no yeah. variation. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I love it. But I haven't yet tried her wine, but I'll put it in my living room so you can call me. Okay, great. We'll just call you the next yeah. time you run out of wine. Yeah, or call know. her and have her drop it off for us yeah, and yeah, we can yeah, try yeah, it yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. That'll absolutely. work too. Oh my God. Whatever Tour works. bus pulls up outside, whatever. Yeah. Brandy, if you're listening, we'd love to try your wine. Love to try your wine. I'm sure. And please bring the Indigo Girls as well. Yeah, I think that would go. I mean, it sounds like that's going to maybe be unsafe for them. Uh, (laughs) That's true. Okay, well, actually, we have, we have tried, we're we're desperately trying to get them to come visit. And we have pitched the fact that we have lots of non-alcoholic beverages. We're open for lunch. Daytime is like a low risk situation. It's really just a restaurant, like definitely come during the day. Yeah, that's some stuff that also I noticed that's important to me, the non-alcoholic beverages, because I do feel like, yeah, I just have so many people in my life who are sober that it's not like mm-hmm. the most fun to um, suggest a bar. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, also the idea that food is served. And then the other thing I just want to mention is, you know, it's hard, I guess, for me anyway, to try to 
figure out what words to use to describe the space that I mm. want to patronize because it's like there is a version of a place that where like lesbian and sapphic and like women who love women where that can be non-trans inclusive. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been to those spaces. Like the when I travel a lot, I usually go stop in at bars like this and I haven't seen those spaces, but like I'm, I know they exist. Um, and can you talk a little bit about like your sort of orientation around that? Cause that's like a very specific issue in our community. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we'll start with that. We are explicitly trans inclusive. Yes. Explicitly. Yes. So. yes. Which and I know. I think it's an interesting, I mean, I always, I, I identify as a lesbian. Um, and I'm always curious because I, I agree with you, Cameron. I think there's this concept that the word lesbian is somehow instantly turfy and it's somehow like has been braided together with that concept of turfiness. And I, I, it's sort of like you were just saying, I, I don't really see it that often, if ever. And I think and I hope that there is a, there's sort of this pathway that I feel like honestly Gen Z is blazing to sort of reclaim the words lesbian and sapphic and women loving women and show by example that it's not necessarily or inherently connected to turfiness. And I hope that what we're doing, like Mara said, just being explicitly trans inclusive, I, I think and I hope we're that we're we're also like on that path and helping to make that a reality. Right. I mean, I do think it's like, you know, it does feel like it's was for a while like a very, you know, online phenomenon that 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 there was. But also like the Michigan Women's Festival existed, mm-hmm. you know, and there are other festivals yeah. where. I feel like there's it's it's like for sure a part of gatherings. But then mm-hmm. there's something like, you know, Dyke Day here in LA or like the Dyke March in New York where I just think um maybe partially it's like the age of the organizers. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Cuz I know some of those things have been mm-hmm. like passed down to younger generations versus like I don't know. I mean, do you, do you have anything else to say about this topic, Mara? I mean, we have seen, we've been really fortunate to not see a lot of like issues with this in the restaurant, but we did when we first opened have an issue with somebody defacing the bathroom with like oh, God. turf stickers, which was really unfortunate. Um, and, you know, again, I think I feel really lucky that it's not something that we see in person, but um, I manage the social media as well. And so I see a little bit more on the internet. Right. You know, I think I see it more online than I do in person. Um, mm-hmm. And we haven't okay. been the target so much. But, you know, in the content that we follow and engage with, you can definitely see, like, you know, turfy behavior is unfortunately alive and well on the Internet. Um, yeah. But we sure. also do get yeah. questions fielded, you know, on our social media of people asking, is this a trans inclusive space? And even despite you know, advertising it as that people still do check in. So, you know, we're doing our best to make sure people know. Right. Absolutely. I mean, this is something that like, that I'm still working out for myself because, you know, I 
do identify as like a gender fluid person. And I have this like one, I have a really close friend who's like a trans mask dude. And um, we had this like really weird realization. We were like on a hike together. And I actually asked him if he wanted to come to the Ruby Fruit. And he was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like he said that. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no good point. I mean, you know. I don't know how you should feel about it either. It was the first time in our friendship that I realized I was like, wait a minute. If we were, we, wait, we go to different bathrooms, don't we? Like we've never like gone to the bathroom at the same time. <laughs> so there's never been like a moment where I've realized that, or like we've gone to, you know, like in like a gender neutral space where there's like one, where there's like a single bathroom. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't go to the same bath. It like blew my mind because I yeah. think of us so much as like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I it mean, like really rocked my world. Yeah. I yeah. mean, go ahead, Em. I, I think there's this, I mean, I think that, I mean, the bathroom thing, I, I truly don't think there's enough time for us to talk about, <laughs> for me anyway, to talk about my feelings about um, bathrooms as just like a constantly trans and non-binary exclusive space, which is preposterous because public bathrooms should be just that like for the public. But so many of my friends and loved ones who are non-binary, um, trans mask, uh, you know, trans femme find themselves every time it's time to go to the bathroom in public with this quandary of like, do I go to the women's room and get looks? Or do I go to the men's room and get looks? And so, I don't know, this is like a public service announcement for the importance of gender neutral <laughs> bathrooms. Truly. I don't know. Yeah. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network. Of artists-owned shows. Supported directly by you.